Uh, I only got a third of the message. You get two, part two and three, all right? Uh, uh, this evening, I, I did um, kind of go back and forth in my mind, um, have a, a new controversial subject, not, not like it's a new controversial subject, but I have another subject to deal with, and uh, had uh, seriously uh, contemplated that. But, um, but I, I think it would be a good thing for us to look at the, um, the two other uh, areas of life where uh, Christians sh- struggle and yet God has answers. And um, I do want to say this, and I think you would understand that uh, every one of these things that we will mention, all three of the areas that Paul deals with where God has allowed different situations and circumstances to discourage suffering, however you want to, however you want to put it, struggles of life, as we mentioned this morning, uh, that there are uh, numerous solutions in Scripture. And I'm, I'm thankful for that because these are common. Um, all of us face the struggle of living the Christian life. There's not a, there's not a believer who doesn't struggle to live the Christian life. And um, it is intensely satisfying to know that God, knowing we would battle with things, thousands of years ago, before the world ever began, had already had in his mind and in his design a word for us that would help us Today, in our day, in our age, with the problems that we face. And, um, and I'm thankful that in this passage he deals specifically, and he gives us really one or two things for each one of these areas, but quite honestly, throughout Scripture, we could find a large list of things that would be helpful in, for example, walking worthy of God. Uh, but I do believe verse 13 is powerful, very powerful, and very important for us and I think sometimes it's ignored, or not maybe ignored, but the emphasis on the Word of God uh, is not understood enough in, in the average Christian's life about the victory and how important the Word is. So, uh, with that in mind, and with that as introduction, let me go ahead and read again our portion of Scripture, and I hope you will be thinking, okay, what's another area that we struggle, and what is the solution? And I think you will find... Uh, At least I hope you will, and if you don't, you will hear, Lord willing, uh, this evening, uh, some answers to those things. So God tells us, uh, we'll pick up in verse 12, since uh, this morning we mentioned the fact that it it is part of, indeed, the answer and and the the struggle. So the Bible says that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. For this cause also thank we God, without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, Ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us. And they please not God, and are contrary to all men." forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles, that they might be saved, to fill up their sins alway, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire, 
Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope, or joy, or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For ye are our glory and joy. Let's pray. Father, Father, we need you tonight to meet with us. You have some truth for us, and I believe this is the passage we're to look at this evening. And so... Um, Feed us with food convenient. Give us something. And Father, um, may we just know your power evidenced in our midst. You promised to be with us. You've given us opportunity to be here tonight. So Lord God, now work in our hearts and use the infallible, powerful word of God to stir us about our life and our walk. In Jesus' name. Amen. A preacher uh, shared this truth. He said, giant sequoia trees, also known as redwoods, are the biggest living things on earth. Heights of many of these can reach 300 feet, and diameters of 30 feet are not uncommon. They range, at least according to those who supposedly know so, but, you know, those who supposedly know so also tell us the world came into existence by chance, but and they don't know so. Anyway, those who supposedly know so tell us they range in age from two to 3,000 years old. Now look, if they are accurate with that, if, if that indeed is true, think about this. Some of the sequoia trees in the sequoia, sequoia National Park were around when Jesus walked on the face of this earth. That, that's a pretty amazing thing, isn't it? Uh, Wow, you think the stories they could tell, if that actually were true. Anyway, uh, he went on and he said, the largest specimen known today is the General Sherman tree in uh, Sequoia National Park. It's 275 feet tall, has a diameter of 36 feet at the base. That's big. And has been estimated to weigh 2,500 metric tons. The Pacific Coast Redwoods in southern Oregon and central California range in height from 100 to 367 feet, a size approached only by the eucalyptus tree of Australia. Now you say, big deal. Well, he went on, and here's what he said. What's fascinating about these majestic redwood trees that reach their leafy arms heavenward is that they stand for hundreds of years, and they survive all sorts of things that, that natural uh, things that would uh, many times destroy and, and ruin. They, they have survived, many of them, uh, raging fires, violent storms, fierce winds. But um, to every, according to everything we know, we've heard that they have comparatively, comparatively shallow root systems. And that makes their survival all the more amazing. How could a tree that grows three, almost 300 feet tall have a shallow root system? Well, the answer to that is they survive because they live in groves and their root systems entangle with numerous other trees, like trees and other trees. In other words, they support each other. They couldn't survive without each other. Of course, you won't normally just see a redwood tree alone. There will be many, because they need each other. Now you say, so what? 
Well, maybe it's a good illustration and a picture of what Paul talks about here and Scripture tells us many times. In this passage, God tells us we need one another. Now, I know it seems like that's been a theme often in preaching. We've heard that a lot. It seems like it's been coming up in numerous Scriptures and, quite honestly, have been challenged about that thought uh, quite a bit as we've been working through the book of Colossians, we've been working through Thessalonians, and we've been looking at other passages of Scripture, many of which remind believers that we need one another. As God deals with the subject, or, or, or as Paul, I'm sorry, writes to the church and says, look, this is how we worked with you, he reveals a problem, another issue, another struggle that Christians have And the struggle is suffering for their faith. Look in verse 14, if you would. We already mentioned, again, uh, the matter of the the battle of walking the godly life or surrender. Now, the struggle that's mentioned in verse 14 is the struggle of suffering. He actually says and uses that word. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea, Judea, however you want to say it, are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they please not God, and are contrary to all men. In this passage, Paul says, hey, look, I I want you to know that you need, uh, we mentioned God's word in you. That's what you need if you're going to help and face the, if you would, the struggle of surrender. In these verses, we learn you need God's people around you. You need God's people around you if you're going to handle the difficulty of suffering. And that's what he shares in this passage. Difficulty of surrender in the first couple verses, the difficulty of suffering. This church faced suffering as a result of their walk with God. How do you handle suffering? Uh, It's certain to come. Uh, I've been reminded in many ways that we haven't had suffering like so many have throughout history. Um, just a, a couple of nights ago, we went, and I know they did this last year, to the Bill Rice Ranch and saw the hiding place, uh, which is very moving and very challenging as um, they did a story of Corey Ten Boom and her life. And uh, the, a couple books have been written about that. She wrote a book, and she went around speaking for years after her time at Ravensbrook as, um, uh, as someone who knew intense suffering because they did what was right in protecting Jews uh, during World War II. And, uh, you know, as, as we were sitting there listening to the story of her life and seeing it kind of unfold and hearing uh, songs that, that were very challenging, um, I was struck over and over with the, the fact that we, we really don't know suffering as Christians in America. But though we don't know suffering as they did, the truth of the matter is every Christian who lives for God will suffer persecution. Paul said that. And though our suffering may not be on the level of Paul, it may not be on the level of the church at Thessalonica, I don't think it was, nor may it be on the level that Job knew or on the level of some others in Scripture. The fact is, Christians suffer persecution. And what's encouraging to me, because, well, by the way, uh, you develop strength as you face it. 
So in reality, quite honestly, a lot of times Christians haven't learned the strength to face suffering as much in America because we haven't faced it. So facing suffering like someone making fun of us for our Christianity is sometimes tough to take. But what's encouraging to me is that we have people who have gone before and people who can pattern for us, even today, lessons that we can learn. And that's what he brings out in this passage. So God's people around you and the difficulty of suffering is mentioned, but the answer or the solution, if you would, is found in these verses. And the, the solution to the difficulty in facing the, uh, the trouble of suffering is the example of the saints. So I want you to see a couple things about the example of the saints. First of all, you can learn from those who have done it already. Notice, if you would, in verse 15 and verse 16, because Paul does talk about the church, a fellow church that's suffering in their, in their day, but what does he do in verse 15? He, he points back, doesn't he? And he says, look, I want you to know something, something that's going to encourage you and help you and, and help you to keep on when you face suffering as you live for Jesus Christ, because if you do live godly, you will suffer persecution. By the way, my wife was just reading something a little while ago today about the fact that there is someone running for office who said churches who, who will not welcome homosexuals should lose their tax-exempt status. And he's running for office. And if he would indeed be elected, you can imagine that that may very well be part of what takes place. Um, you say, is that a big deal? Well, yeah, <laughs> it is. Now, that's not you know, suffering persecution, but actually it will be a great financial burden on, on any work, any ministry. Um, and quite frankly, we'll lose it rather than take the stand they're talking about because we'd have to compromise Bible truth to do so. But what I'm, I guess what I'm saying is there's the reality of some very serious persecution that seems much more real today than even just a few years ago. Uh, not just with the homosexual crowd, but in just many areas of life, it seems like Christianity is truly being attacked. Well, how do you face those things? Well, what he does in this passage is he begins, or at least in verse 15 and 16, he points us back and he says, learn from the examples of those who've gone before. And they are a wonderful example. We, we, count, we consider the joy the scriptures talk about of Job. You say, joy of Job. Well, it was what he learned. It was what God did through his suffering. Now, he points us to who, first of all, in verse 15? To Jesus Christ. And he reminds us that, quite frankly, none of us, none of us will ever face what Jesus Christ did and had to go through. Uh, in, indeed, his suffering was, was greater than any you and I will ever face. Uh, for a number of reasons. You say, well, people have, have gone to the death, which is ultimately what, uh, what happened with Jesus Christ. But you know, the suffering Christ was far deeper than that for the first time ever in all of e from all of eternity past and, and for all of eternity future. Uh, the Son of God um, 
was separated from the Father when he bore our sins on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And Jesus Christ knew suffering like we will never face. But you know, those who have been through it before, learning from those who have, have done it, learning from those who have suffered, can be a great lesson and a great encouragement and a great help and a great guide to us when suffering comes our way. What do we do? How do we handle it? How did Jesus handle it? It behooves believers when suffering comes to be reminded, my Lord suffered. And if my Lord suffered, I can suffer. And if he was willing to go to the death, I can take what's coming my way right now. Not only knowing that he'll be with me. See, there are other truths that I can look at. But he points them to and he says, look, understand that uh, that godless people killed the Lord Jesus. And notice verse 15. He goes back and he says, and our own prophets. Now he's talking about specifically Jews who are opposed to the preaching of the gospel. And then he says, they persecuted us and they pleased not God and are contrary to all men um, and forbidding us to go on. He goes on. But he shares that we can learn from those who have done it and gone on before. Um, James 5 says, Take my brethren the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. And this is where we mention Job again, or it's mentioned. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. So we can learn from those who have gone on before. By the way, there are more recent uh, examples in history. Some not, uh, obviously, in the last couple years, although there are people who are suffering for their faith that we could learn from even uh, in our day and in our age. But I came across the story of Aniram Judson, who was in Burma and who endured many hardships as he tried to reach people for Jesus Christ. Do you know seven years he uh, he was in... Uh, uh, he was thrown in uh, Ava prison, I think it was. For 17 months during that time, he was subject to incredible mistreatment. And actually, as a result of that mistreatment, for the rest of his life, he carried marks made by the chains and iron shackles that had held him. But what is amazing about this is when he was released, he asked for permission to enter another province where he might resume preaching the gospel. And the ruler indignantly denied his request. And here's what he said. My people are not fools enough to listen to anything a missionary might say. But I fear they might be impressed by your scars and turn to your religion. So he refused to give him opportunity to preach in that area. Um, you know, those who have gone to their reward are a shining light to us today to keep on. You know what's interesting? Motivational speakers know that it works. What Paul did and what Paul shared with the church. You know, it is encouraging to be able to look back at people. Motivational speakers do this all the time. If you would go to any kind of motivational uh, conference about how to do such and such, or how to, you'll, you'll almost invariably hear about someone who's a success story. It's true. Um, if you were to go to, I don't know, um, uh, oh, years ago it was called Amway. They don't call it Amway anymore. They keep changing the name because 
because they always call it pyramid schemes. And if you're an Amway, I'm not here to blast you or anything like that. But, but you know, we, we knew some people who were heavily involved in Amway years ago. And they would go to those motivational messages all the time. And you know what they, you know what the motivational speakers would talk about? They'd bring someone up that was gold. Like, there was diamond and, and there's, there's gold. There's a bunch of different positions you can, and they would have those people come up or they would tell the story about so-and-so who, who was, who was living in his car, but started selling Amway, you know? And how he became a multimillionaire. And, and what would they do? That would be an encouragement, would it not? So some guy that maybe had been doing it for a couple months and, you know, hasn't gotten anywhere, he'd say, hey, that guy did it, I can. And, um, and God knows that, that just knowing others have been through it before can be a wonderful encouragement. So, so listen, the next time you're facing difficulty for your faith at work or wherever, just understand this and remind yourself, Jesus Christ went through and told suffering. Other people have been through suffering and lived for God. And I can as well. So looking at people of the past. Um, by the way, as I was studying the passage a little bit further, um, after I had prepared the message, it dawned on me that God gives us another motive to live for him uh, in these verses. Uh, at the end of verse 16, uh, notice what he says. He says, oh, well, the whole verse, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins always, for the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. You know, th this is a reminder, and, and, and it doesn't relate. So this is, this is one of those little rabbit trails, this sideline, but it's, it's mentioned here in Scripture. One of the other encouragements to always remind ourselves as we face suffering is that God always judges. God is righteous. There's two aspects to that. First of all, if you do right, there's reward. And the scriptures do talk about the fact that if you suffer for your faith, there is reward. But there's also the aspect that God always punishes evildoers. And that's what that verse brings out, doesn't it? It says this, the wrath of God is upon and has come upon many of the people who, who caused our Lord Jesus Christ to suffer. So just remind yourself as well, another thought, if you would, to encourage yourself when you're facing some persecution for your faith is to just remind yourself of the fact that, you know, God will judge these people, and quite honestly, we should pity them rather than be angry with them. Because when God takes vengeance, it's serious stuff. If God would sentence someone to eternity in a lake of fire, you better believe that God's vengeance is a very serious thing. And doesn't he bring out that fact? For the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. The indication seems to be that some of these people who persecuted Christ, persecuted the prophets, well, many of them had, had already met their death, and they were already in hell spending an eternity paying for their sin because God always punishes sin. Um, and so uh, there's always a payday. There's a payday for right. There's a payday for wrong. And you want to be on the right side, right? All right, then the, this, the second point under this, that was a little sideline, but you could like put it as 1A something, whatever you want to do, all right? But not only can we learn from the doers, 
but also we need to live like the doers. You say, what do you mean by that? Look back at verse 14. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. You say, okay, pastor, they, they, uh, they learn from them, right? No, that word followers is, is a very important word. It means, it literally means to mimic. So the idea was, like the sequoia trees, the, the roots of Christians who had already suffered went out, and these believers entwined themselves around and started to follow and learn from their pattern. And as a result, it encouraged them to keep on. So not only can we look to people from the past, but quite honestly, we, we ought to be able to look to one another and find encouragement of those who are living with God and, if you would, pattern our lives after them. And you know what happens so often in Christianity? Here's the truth. The, the guys who do wrong are the ones who are magnified. And that is sad, isn't it? Well, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it's sad because we're noticing the ones who fail. And, and what's really tragic is a lot of times the ones who fail are, are, uh, lead others to also quit. I've talked to many of people who are no longer in church because of someone that failed that they looked at and they respected and they thought very highly of. And if you would, they were their hero. You mentioned that a little bit before, which, which isn't a bad thing. You can find great encouragement from people who are living for God, but when they blow it, a lot of times people get discouraged and quit. But when God talks about people from the past and people even presently who are living with us, he encourages us to look at those who are doing what's right. Say, I'm going to be like them. You know, there are people today who are suffering for the faith and we can learn from them. And very well we may need to. And I... I don't want to sound like a doom and gloom preacher, but when you look at what's going on in society, it really is somewhat alarming as a Christian to see how fast it seems like we're progressing down the road that might lead to greater persecution. But here's the truth. There are people who are suffering today, many in Muslim countries who are suffering today, whom we can mimic and learn from who are faithful to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And may we do that. So living like the doers, not only learning from the doers, but living like those who are doing that which is right. So, um, you know, when someone fails, can I encourage you not to magnify that, but to just remind yourself there may be a failure, but there are thousands of people who are doing what's right and are serving God. And I'm going to encourage myself with them and not allow someone who's blown it to discourage me from living for God. And this is a good lesson for us to take from our passage. So we have then, um, we have, as we've already mentioned, and I'm going back, God's word in you. That can be an encouragement and needs to be an encouragement. Then we have God's people around you, verses 14 to 16. And our passage closes with what we'll call God's promises before you. 
In verse 17, he mentions another difficulty. He mentions another struggle that Christians uh, face in life. Now, you may have missed it because it's really kind of a little bit cryptic here. So I'm going to share it with you. He says, but we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavoring the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope? And then he finishes out the passage. In verses 17 and 18, he shares with us the difficulty of, and I'm going to put it this way, unfulfilled desires. Unfulfilled desires. Paul had a ministry with these people. He loved these people. And by the way, when you love someone, when you've had a ministry with someone, when you served with someone, you want to be with them. <laughs> Which... Which just reminds me that, that there's some people who don't understand how important the church is. You know, uh, honestly, I I, I want to be here because I I just I just love being with you people. I'm serious about that. And and that's the attitude every Christian should have. But here's the fact of the matter: sometimes what we desire, what we long for in life, doesn't happen. I know that never happens in your life. But I've had things that I've planned on and I wanted to see done and I wanted to see take place, but they haven't taken place. There's things I've prayed about and people I've prayed for and situations I've prayed about, and I didn't see what I had desired. Uh, anyone else ever have that happen in life? Okay, you, you, know, you don't have to raise a hand, but yeah, I, I, I can tell by the nines. There are discouraging moments in the Christian life. Do you know Paul doesn't sound discouraged here? But what he says is discouraging. I love you people. I've wanted to be with you people. And I've tried to come to you people. And Satan has been thwarting my desires. Now, that had to be frustrating as well. I, I, I just put it the difficulty, the struggle of sorrow or unfulfilled desires. How frustrating is it in life when you want something that's good and right, but it's hindered by various things? Think about it. What things have you wanted badly in life that didn't come your way? Did it discourage you? Did it keep you from serving God? Did it cause you to maybe kind of quit on some things? I think probably everyone could say, I have some longings that have been unfulfilled. I have some things that I've desired I haven't seen come to pass. I've had plans that have been changed. Anyone have any plans changed? Isn't that what Paul described? Just think, come on, think about it practically. We, we like to, Paul, super saint. He was a believer who loved God, who wanted something that was good and right, and it didn't happen. Do you know in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he talks about another thing. He had a thorn in the flesh, and he wanted something that was good and right, God to take it away, and God didn't. The truth is, we all have things that could discourage us in our walk with God. We all have things coming. We have longings that we want, things that are good, and sometimes discouragement can come in life. Now, I'll tell you, Paul's life had to be one where discouragement could have easily pushed him off the path of service. Yeah, right? Thorn in the flesh? Uh, Alexander the coppersmith. You remember him, don't you? Um, uh, talked about in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I mean, we could go through a list. Um, uh, passage was read in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. Take a moment. Just, just look at it. I, um, 
it's an amazing passage because in it he talks about uh, the things that are not seen are eternal. And the things that are seen are temporal. And he ends with, Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. But here's what he said in verse um, in verse 8. We're troubled on every side. And by the way, if he just if he didn't put those little statements after each one of these things, we would think, wow, must have been depressed. You know, we're perplexed, persecuted, uh, cast down, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord. But what's so great about this passage that in every one of those things, he saw victory. And the truth is you and I can as well. There are discouragements in life. There are difficult times. There are times where there's great weight put upon us, sometimes by the hand of God. But in all those things, a Christian can be victorious. And we don't have to live defeated by disappointments, by discouragements, by things that don't come to pass that we prayed about for years that we'd like to see happen. I love these verses because he says, we're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. We are not going to allow the devil to win. And and let me tell you, Christian, it's easy to to just be on the other side. Man, you're something I prayed about, I've worked toward. It's good, it's right. Why doesn't God do something? Okay, you've never been there. Lord, why? And he shares in these verses, it seems to me like part of the answer for why this disappointment didn't get him down. Actually, we could share two things from the passage. One, we've, we actually just looked at or we mentioned uh, the encouragement of friends. The encouragement of friends. Look at the the last, look at verse 20. For ye are our glory, and what? Fellowship of believers, friendship of godly people, all be the joy of our life. It seems to me he was bringing out two aspects here. Paul had ministered these people, he led them to Jesus Christ, so they were his glory. In other words, they were his reward. It's true, isn't it? He was going to receive reward for the work he had done with these people, but it wasn't just their glory. Uh, It wasn't just his glory. It was also his joy. As he looked at people who were serving God and living for God, his friends, he he found great encouragement. Uh, I'll tell you something. We we really, if you haven't heard this, we really need one another. Really need one another. Just... Just the encouragement of coming to church and and, and seeing that uh, Brother Farrington's here again today. Brother Umstead's here today. Uh, Steel Flynn's here today. Amy Duncan's here today. Just to be able to look at God's people and be reminded hey, you know, we're all in this together. And um, 
And they ought. That ought to bring joy to your heart, even when you're disappointed, even when you're discouraged, even when, when things don't come to pass, just to be reminded, hey, you know, we're all in this together. And then the, the second aspect, not just fringe, but the future, was something that kept Paul from being discouraged. You know, God has a plan. Satan is always seeking to thwart that plan. And, and I'm sure that it must have been especially frustrating because here he wanted something that was good. What could possibly be bad about Paul going to be with the church at Thessalonica and encourage them to live for God and seeing what's going on in their lives and enjoying some fellowship with people he had invested in and loved? What could possibly be wrong with that? Nothing. But the enemy of God had kept it from happening over and over and over and over again. And you think Paul would just said, oh, man, I hate that guy. Well, I think he did, probably. But you know what, what kept him going? He says, "For what is our hope or joy? Or, or crown of rejoicing. He says, you know, there, there's something to come. There's rewards that are coming. But it wasn't just rewards. You know what's my joy? Is I'm going to be with my Lord someday. And, and I know that this life is just going to be fraught with problems and disappointments and discouragements at times. And some of those really hurt. And some of those are frustrating. And some of the desires that we might have are, are absolutely, positively great things. They may not come to pass. But here's the truth. If they don't, we're still going to heaven. We're still going to heaven. No one can take that away. And Jesus is coming again. And it, it could be that all my disappointments will be over tomorrow. Tonight. True. And so he reminds us, hey, look, here's the truth. There are some things you may long for your entire life and never see come to pass. Good things. But there's coming a day when you'll be with your Lord and all your needs and desires, everyone will be met. You'll be perfectly satisfied there won't be more discouragements people who fail you things that you want that you don't see happen it just won't be your Lord and Savior will meet every need does anyone find that intensely encouraging I do and and Paul says you know people I, I want you to be aware I love you, and I love you so much. I have tried over and over to be there, but God keeps closing the door. He's allowed, he's allowed Satan to hinder, but, you know, I'm still rejoicing. I'm rejoicing because I think about you and about your walk with God, and it brings you joy to my heart. So I'm rejoicing because someday you and I are going to be in heaven with our Lord. And we're going to enjoy one another for all eternity. Um, 
Those are some good answers, aren't they? Uh, those are some, some good promises that can help us as we suffer. Look, look our, our problems are all varied. They're all different in life. And these things were very different. A walk with God, which is a struggle uh, for, for everyone. Um, suffering, which is difficult to take. And then just disappointments that come in life. These are all things we can relate to, can't we? And yet, in all of them, there's answer. There's hope. A believer needs to remember that. And, and may what Paul testified as this is what's been going on in your lives, what I've observed and, and what has happened in my life, as he shares these things, we learn some great lessons for our own, for our own lives about hope for whatever might come our way. And may you find encouragement in that. Let's bow our heads and, and close our eyes. I'm not going to have a, a come forward invitation.